morning we're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 11. Because we understand our fearful responsibilities to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so that you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who has died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The word of the Lord. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Anne. Jael, would you like to just do the sermon this morning as well? You're welcome to. Good morning. Good to be in church today. The, uh, the rain is refreshing the ground, and we just pray that our hearts will be refreshed this morning as well as we open his word. I just want to invite you to stand with me for a moment as we pray and ask the Lord's uh, strength and insight and blessing uh, this morning. Lord Jesus, we come to you. We thank you that... Uh, We are reconciled in you through what you have done for us on the cross. We are reminded of that this morning through your word that we are new in Christ. We pray that you would help us to uh, not only survive, but thrive. We pray that you will share with us the nuggets this morning that are, are particular to our own hearts that we need to hear. Lord, some nugget uh, that will just give us a new sense of vision or give us a sense, Lord, that uh, we're okay, that we're comforted, that we're encouraged. You know what we need, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Next week, a new uh, September series called uh, That's a Stretch, and we want to stretch in the month of September. Uh, so we're going to look at uh, majoring on the majors uh, at TCC. What's really important in our adventure as a church? 
Uh, we're going to talk about worship next Sunday. And then we're going to talk about spiritual formation and, and connecting with one another and connecting with our world. Learning how to put a towel over our arm and serve our world and our community. And all from a perspective of God's grace. So looking forward to it, I invite you to uh, pray that God would use these messages uh, in the, the next, next month. But this morning, uh, the question, got a nice little background music. Do you hear that? That's just background. Just, just enjoy it as ambience. Uh, the question, have you ever asked such a question? Why does becoming a spiritually mature person take so long? <laughs> you ever asked it? Why is growing deeper so challenging? Have you ever asked it? Why do I seem to blow it so often? Have you ever thought it? Will I ever be any different? Have you ever wondered? If you ask those kind of questions, you're my kind of person. Maybe that's it. I'm often disheartened in myself. I thought I'd be further along. Didn't you? We have lots of things to be disenchanted about. We indulge in too many chocolates. Yesterday I said to Marg, please take the trail mix off the cupboard. It's this big trail mix. Please put it away. I will put it away. Because every time I walk by there, I want to, and I do, put my hand in there. Please take it away. When I was a kid, my mother said, don't eat too many chocolates. And particularly one evening when we had company over and the chocolates were flowing bountifully. My mother said, tomorrow we have to go to Calgary, which was a big deal because we lived on the farm and we never went very far. Ten miles was about our limit. But to go to Calgary was amazing. If you eat too many chocolates, you'll get sick and not be able to go. Oh, Mom, that's crazy. I would never get sick from eating chocolates. The next time, morning when it was time to go to Calgary, I was sick. How do moms know that stuff? I had to stay home. Just a few chocolates. We're disappointed for all kinds of reasons. We put on weight in the summer. In the summertime, no less. With all the barbecues and snacks. We've lost some of our exercise routines because of vacations. We're not going to bring up our golf scores this summer. That's disillusioning. Except for Norb. <laughs> now, Pastor Norb, on the other hand, is shooting very well this summer. He's not disappointed. He is inspiring. It's extremely frustrating. <laughs> oh, and we are dissatisfied in ourselves that perhaps we're not more gifted in some areas than we would, we would like to be good at those areas, but we're not. Or we're disappointed at how we look. I will never be Arnold. 
I've always resonated in the words of John Ortberg in a book he wrote 17 years ago, The Life You've Always Wanted. And the paragraph says it so well. I remember how my daughter spilled cherry punch at dinner. And I yelled at her about being careful as if she'd revealed some deep character flaw. I yelled at her even though I, I spill things all the time and no one yells at me. I yelled at her to tell the truth simply because I'm big and she's little and I can get away with it. And then I saw that look of hurt and confusion in her eyes and I knew there was a tiny wound on her heart that I had put there. And I wished I could have taken those 60 seconds back. I remember at night how I didn't have those slow, sweet talks, but merely rushed the kids to bed so I could have more time to myself. I'm frustrated. He writes, I'm disappointed that I still love God so little and sin so much. I've always had the idea as a child that adults were pretty much the people they want to be. <laughs> have you thought that too? I thought when you got older, you'd just kind of be. You got it. You would really pull it together. Yet the truth is, I'm embarrassingly sinful. I'm capable of dismaying amounts of jealousy if someone succeeds more visibly than I do. These are just some of the disappointments. I have other ones, darker ones, that I'm not ready to commit to paper. The truth is, even to write these words is a little misleading because it makes me sound more sensitive to my fallenness than I really am. Sometimes, although I'm aware of how far I fall short, it doesn't even bother me that much. And I'm disappointed at my lack of disappointment. <laughs> Thank you, John Ortberg, for verbalizing for it, us, it for us. Wonderfully honest. And everybody said, and some people said, <laughs> and everybody said, amen. Yeah. We all, we all agree. There's a passage of scripture that Anne read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 17. You want, might want to, if you've got your Bible or iPhone with you, just kind of take that out. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 17. That positions us to, to think about the effectiveness of God's transforming work in our hearts. I'm not even quite sure of the best way to, to describe some of the tension we feel as we desire to live a fulfilled Christian life. Because there's the tension between disappointment and great adventure over here, and somehow they're always in tension. I know that we all want to feel like we're growing and resonating with what God's doing in our lives. We don't, always, we don't want to be crawling out of the hole somewhere feeling terribly dissatisfied about ourselves and feeling like we're not being changed by God and transformed by his presence. So it says uh, we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ. Uh, either way, Christ's love controls us. Uh, where are we? <laughs> I'll read from mine. So and from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. So gaining perspective. Sometimes when we're recalling an event, uh, we may tell some of the story, but not all of the story. Have you ever told a story that way that you told some of it, but you didn't tell the whole story? And maybe we just got, we got stuck on one aspect of the story. 
There's nothing in the Second Corinthians passage that is inaccurate, of course. But it may simply be that we didn't read on a little bit further, or we didn't go back a little bit farther and get the context. Verse 14 is a wonderful verse. There should be no reason why we would get stuck on this verse, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. You see, when Christ died, we all died in him and with him. I mean, we understood ourselves to be sinful and therefore we died in him, in Christ, and with him. And I think we all agree with that truth. It is because of our sinful condition that Christ died. We're eternally grateful that he died for us because we were sinners. We were in need of his forgiveness. So it's easy to gravitate to the narrative of death rather than life. That we are sinners trying hard to live the Christian life, yet disappointing ourselves at every turn, more dead than alive. Have you ever been there? Are you there now? We feel so inadequate in the Christian journey. We feel like we blow it so often. Is there any use trying to live it? How can I ever make it? Why do I miss the mark so often? How do I walk into that trap for the 300th time? When will I get victory in my, in my life? I thought by now that I wouldn't be caught in that temptation, in that wrong deed, with those inappropriate thoughts. And here I am still struggling and still sinning. Anyone relate to that? We can all relate to it. It's part of what we all experience. It's part of our humanity. We find ourselves in a conflict. We know that God doesn't want us to sin and we would never say, well, I'm just going to sin regardless. I don't care. I don't know. We would never think that way. It's just that we find ourselves caught in the web of sin, large or small. It might be little old white lies. Being jealous for what somebody has or for what somebody does. Worrying. Worrying. Carrying something in our hearts that we don't need to carry. Judging others. So verse 14 is critically important, but it needs verse 15 to follow. So going forward, look again at what Paul says. Verse 15, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. The old has gone and the new is here. It's time to find our new identity in Christ. It says that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who lived for them and was raised again. That he was raised to new life. It's time to change the narrative. It's time to change the narrative. He has been raised from the dead. We have been brought to new life. Baptism beautifully symbolizes the new life. 
Even as Christ rose from the dead, we too rise from the deadness of an old life and discover the aliveness of a new life. For you that have come to know Christ and to trust him, uh, to have his life in, in you, and maybe if that's been in recent days or maybe that's happened years ago, but you've never really come to publicly express that through baptism, I welcome you to do that sometime this fall. We'll put a, a baptismal time on the calendar. Most of us know that right over here to my left is the baptistry, and we get to fill it with water and witness those who desire to say, I have the new life of Christ in my life, and I want to declare it publicly just as Jesus asked me to do. So if you're sensing that I should take that step, I just feel the nudge to do that. Let's talk. Let's talk. These are the words of James Smith in the book, The Good and Beautiful God. The narrative of I am an awful sinner must be replaced by the narrative that says, In Christ I am no longer to be defined by sin. I've been reconciled. Sin has been defeated. Jesus not only forgives the sin of all people for all time, he broke the power of sin itself. God not only wants us to be reconciled, he wants, us, he wants to transform us. Ken, what are you trying to tell us this morning? I don't know if I'm getting this. I, I'm simply trying to remind us this morning of the importance of discovering our identity in Christ. When we discover our identity in Christ, we crawl out from the hole of disappointment and feeling like, will anything ever change in my life? And our perspective is so critical. Not sinners who can't crawl out of the hole, but people who are new in Christ. See, our identity gives us perspective. We've been raised with newness of life in Jesus Christ. We are defined not by the word sinner any longer, but saint. Although I hardly ever use that word, and you know why, because it, it's so greatly misunderstood. Because it looks so self-righteous. But it's not really that from a biblical perspective. Author and speaker Brennan Manning has an amazing story about he, how he got the name Brennan. Have you read any of his writings? Perhaps the book Abba's Child, one of the most well-known. Well, growing up, his best friend was Ray. And the two of them did everything together. Bought a car together as teenagers, double-dated together, went to school together, and so forth. They even enlisted in the army together and went to boot camp together and fought on the front lines together. And one night while sitting in a foxhole, Brennan was reminiscing about the old days in Brooklyn while Ray listened and ate a chocolate bar. Suddenly a live grenade came into the foxhole. Ray looked at Brennan, smiled, dropped his chocolate bar, and threw himself on the live grenade. It exploded, killing Ray, but Brennan's life was spared. When Brennan became a priest, he was instructed to take on the name of a saint. He thought of his friend Ray Brennan, 
who he considered to be a saint because of what he did. So he took on the name Brennan. Years later, he went to visit Ray's mother in Brooklyn. They sat up late one night having tea when Brennan asked her, do you think Ray loved me? Mrs. Brennan got up off the couch, shook her finger in front of, uh, of his face, and said, what more could he have done for you? Brennan said at that moment he experienced an epiphany. He imagined himself standing before the cross of Jesus wondering, does God really love me? And Jesus' mother Mary pointing to her son and saying, what more could he have done for you? Friends, we are the children of a transforming God. And he's never finished with us. Isn't that good? He has further plans for your life. Some of you who may be tired and exhausted and about ready to throw in the towel, he has further plans for your life. He is never finished with us. We may all be in different places this morning in our journey, but we will continue to grow and experience the amazing transformation that God brings. And the cross of Jesus is God's way of doing all he could do for, you, for us. And we often wonder, does God love me? Does he really love me? Am I important to God? Does God care about little old me? Am I the forgotten one? Does he have me on his list? And the answer is, oh yes, oh yes. If you ever wanted to do a uh, serious study of your identity in Christ, you could check out the many times in Paul's writings that speak about how we are connected to Christ. The phrase, in Christ or in the Lord, occurs 164 times in the New Testament. There must be something pretty significant about that. Listen to these words from Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. How about the verse in Romans 8.1? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's our identity. How about the verse Colossians 3.3 says, You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have a new identity. You, you, your new life is wrapped up in the person of Christ. And he presents you to God as one who is holy and acceptable unto God. Chuck Colson is the founder of Prison Fellowship. He died three years ago from a brain hemorrhage. One of our NAB boys, as I say it, one of our NAB pastors has succeeded Chuck as the president of Prison Fellowship. And his name is Jim Liskey. We're proud of him that he's uh, in a role such as that. But Colson's story is amazing. He joined the Marines as a young man. 
He went to law school, became the lawyer for the president of the United States at that time, Richard Nixon. He reached the peak of all of his dreams and then he was caught up in the web of Watergate. And many had a suspicion that Chuck Colson was actually behind the Watergate break, as well as the cover-up. When Colson realized that he was going to be subpoenaed, he didn't know what to do. So he called a, a friend by the name of Tom Phillips. T Phillips was real clear with, with Col uh, Colson and told him outright, you need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what you, where you need to start. Well, Colson was very suspicious of people who had religious conversions and would have shaken this thing off because, except because of who Tom was. He knew Tom. And Tom had a lot of credibility in his life. So Phillips gave him uh, a copy of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. And Colson agreed to read it. Colson was touched by Lewis's exploration of the essence of Christianity. And he began to see that there were answers to some of his questions. He admitted his sin. He put his trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And he asked Jesus to do in his words, an extreme makeover in his life. To do an extreme makeover in his life. Well, in the trial, they tried to pin Colson down. But he was too smart for them. They couldn't get him. And they finally gave up. And Colson said, wait a minute. He said, I've come to faith in Jesus Christ, and that demands that I be honest with you. You haven't asked the right questions his own trial. Let me tell you what I did wrong. So Colson then confessed to criminal activities of which they knew nothing and he went to jail for them. After his time in prison, a, a Christian reporter interviewed Colson and said, Colson, was that just a hoax about your Christian experience or is there anything to this? Did you just kind of use that to get out of a bigger jam? How do we know this thing is real? Prove it to us. And Colson stopped for a moment and he thought. He said, John, the only thing I can say is, see what I'm doing 10 years from now. I guess time will tell. Well, that was 1974. It's 41 years later. And you know that Chuck Colson went on to start the prison fellowship program. It is the most incredible ministry to prisoners all over the United States and now international. Chuck Colson discovered what it means to live in Christ. To have an extreme makeover and to be a new person in Jesus Christ. And what a difference his life has made. What a difference. He has understood through the years what it means to live in Christ, to be in Christ, to follow in the journey that Christ called him to and calls all of us to. May I just wrap this up with a couple of thoughts. Some steps to the transformational life. How, how do we live the transformed life? What does that look like? Here are some helpful things to remember. First of all, maintain the in Christ perspective. It's important to have the right perspective as we journey with Christ. Our perspective is to live in the new narrative that we are in Christo, in Christ. Now, of course, I don't mean to imply that we will never sin again. 
Oh, how we wish. It's simply that we come from a perspective of living in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are children of God who calls, who call out, Abba, Father. He is our Father, and we are his sons and daughters. And when we are in Christ, we are back up on our feet again as quickly as possible. After getting decked by some temptation, we're back up our, on our feet again. Because we are in Christ. The important thing about perspective is that we keep moving forward despite how we get hammered. We may have something in our lives that we just can't get past. But because we are in Christ, Jesus says, I forgive you. And now, friend, it's time to move on. And that stain in your life will no longer defeat you, but allow you to see that God is an amazing God of grace and mercy. The most awesome thing to come to, your, to the place where you see the awful stain in your life no longer is condemnation, but as grace. I don't look at the stain and feel condemned. I look at the stain and experience God's grace anew. Remember who you are, someone who is new in Christ. Secondly, renewal. Some of you are remembering immediately when I say renewal, that verse in Romans 12 too. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. A.W. Tozer said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's a powerful statement. What you think about God makes a big difference in the way you forge your way in this world. Paul reminds us that transformation comes through the renewing of our mind. Want to keep fresh in your journey with Christ? Don't allow your mind and your heart to be filled with stuff that takes you away from Christ. Guard your mind. You have to think of how you do that. The practical day by day in which you guard your mind. Think on those things that will lift you up. Remember the list in Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about such things. And then brokenness. Brokenness. None of us like to go through hard times. None of us like to suffer. But isn't it interesting, as we sang this morning, those two songs, that when those times come, we grow the most. I've told you about my pastor friend in Michigan a couple of times. His name is Scott, and both he and his wife have Lyme's disease. He's a full-time pastor, got enough strength back to be able to re-enter the pastorate, but his energy level is always just tapped out, always tapped. Last year when we golfed, he managed 18 holes before absolute exhaustion hit. He was disappointed because this year he could only do nine holes. He hoped to be even stronger this year, but he's actually a little weaker. Their daughter was killed in a car accident over a year ago. 
His wife has now had to resign from being the secretary because she's absolutely exhausted from Lyme's disease. And they walk humbly, day by day. It's kind of like gathering strength for the next day. But God is using them in their weakness. I look at them and I say, oh God, they inspire me in their brokenness. He said he was in a restaurant one day and he watched a father and his small son have lunch together. And the father had a very full overflowing plate of nachos. And the little boy had virtually nothing on his plate. But the father kept putting one nacho at a time over onto his son's plate. And whenever the son's plate was empty, father would transfer another nacho. The father's plate was full and the son's plate was empty, but he never went without. Hmm. And Scott said, God spoke to me as I watched that scenario play out. He said, I am providing for you just like this father is providing for his son. And there's a transfer every day, just what you need, just what you need. And he has learned to abide in Christ. To abide in Christ. Out of his brokenness, he has a beautiful strength. It's a very attractive strength. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here.